The Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Jesus said to the people, Listen to another parable. There was a landowner who planted a vineyard, put a fence around it, dug a wine press in it, and built a watchtower. Then he leased it to tenants and went to another country. When the harvest time had come, he sent his slaves to the tenants to collect his produce. But the tenants seized the slaves and beat one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves, more than the first, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them, saying, They will respect my son. But when the tenants saw the son, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Come, let us kill him and get his inheritance. So they seized him, threw him out of the vineyard, and killed him. Now when the owner of the vineyard comes, what will he do to those tenants? They said to him, He will put those wretches to a miserable death and lease the vineyard to other tenants who will give him the produce at the harvest time. Jesus said to them, Have you never read in the scriptures the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? This was the Lord's doing, and it is amazing in our eyes. Therefore, I tell you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people that produces the fruits of the kingdom. The one who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces, and it will crush anyone on whom it falls. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they realized that he was speaking about them. They wanted to arrest him, but they feared the crowds because they regarded him as a prophet. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Grace and peace to you from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus the Christ, and from the Holy Spirit, the one who is present wherever you are. So I've had the incredible privilege several times in my life to travel to Tanzania as a part of our church and the work done there. But on some of those trips, I've gotten to travel to the national parks and to see the giraffe. Well, I've seen lots of other animals, but the giraffe are by far my favorite. I love whenever giraffe come onto the scene. Now, in these several trips, at some point, I started to notice that there are always these birds hanging out on the backs of the giraffe. The birds, I later learned, are called yellow-billed oxpeckers. They actually do live on the backs of the giraffe. Now, this is a relationship that is beneficial to both animals. The birds, of course, they get to eat. They're eating the ticks and the other insects that are living on the giraffe's back. But the giraffe benefits too. I mean, who wouldn't want something to pick off all of these uh, maybe disease-laden animals that are crawling on your back? But the other benefit to the giraffe is this. These birds are kind of a early warning uh, system. When a predator is nearby, the birds start to make noise and start to flutter about, and they are actively warning the giraffe to beware. 
I'm amazed every time I see it happen. The birds start to become agitated and suddenly you'll see the giraffe trusting that warning and becoming sort of newly alert. Now I think about the image of those birds in relationship to the giraffe when I think about my own fear. How do I know when I might be in danger? How do I know when violence or potential crime or an enemy may be near? But these days, a better question might be, uh, during this time of division and discrimination and uncertainty and change, the better question might be this. How do I know when fear is just in my head paralyzing me from important things I could do or say? Who's warning me then? What are the signals? As we are doing throughout this series on our fears, we're turning once again today to the wisdom and actions of Jesus to find what Jesus says and see if it might be a cur- bring us courage and hope to live unafraid in the midst of our fear. And so today, Jesus tells another challenging parable. Like last week, the main hearers of this story are the chief priests and the elders. It's not necessarily the disciples or the gathering crowd. Once again, Jesus is speaking directly to these leaders, and he wants them to hear a challenge to the power structure in which they have begun to find their own sense of authority and privilege. Now, just a side note here, there is a long history of an anti-Semitic retelling of this story. So people will look at the story and say, see, Jesus good, Jews bad. That is not what is happening here. This is a story where Jesus asks us to look at our own lives and maybe our own church leadership and look within our own hearts to see if we can see an unjust power structure that we are living in and maybe even benefiting from today. As you have heard, Jesus tells this story about a landowner who rents out his land to tenants. This is the the agreement that they have. So the landowner sends a slave to collect the proceeds from the year's harvest and the slave is beaten and sent back. Another slave is sent in then to uh, get the rent, and that slave is killed. Another is sent and stoned. And each subsequent slave who is sent in to collect what the landlord, landlord is owed is treated in the same way. Finally, the landowner says, well, I'll send my own son. And when the wicked tenants kill the son, they greedily think, we will get the inheritance now too. There is fear simmering inside of every character in this parable. The slaves have been sent to collect the rent. They must certainly fear a landowner who is so reckless and uncaring with his work. The tenants, now they are in the wrong, but yet they fear being trapped inside this system in which they cannot rise up, a system where they will never earn more. And so in some ways, if they seem ruthless, we might consider if it is because they see themselves fighting against that fear, fighting back to overcome 
an unjust system. And then what about the landowner? Could this rich, powerful man have fear associated with his position in the story as well? And I think the answer is yes. There is some fear around keeping things going, keeping producing, keeping things controlled, about maintaining and growing one's wealth. When the story comes to a head, we should take a long pause after verse 41. Jesus asks the question, now, what should the owner of the vineyard do? In other words, Jesus wants to say to these chief priests and elders, but also to us today, Jesus wants to say, what will you do? You, who have positions of wealth and power and privilege. You, who do not experience near daily discrimination and injustice because of who you are or who you love or the color of your skin. You who have influence and a voice in public affairs. What are you going to do? Jesus asks. It's a scary thing to step out of that which is comfortable and into a difficult and maybe even uncertain situation of injustice and suffering. I guess I wish I had one of those yellow-bellied ox packers sitting on my back to warn me when entering in would be safe or when I should walk or run away. I'm often afraid that I'll speak without understanding the whole situation, or I'll say something that will expose my privilege or my ignorance. I will admit that my default at times can be to cause me to retreat instead of act. I just want to share this example of where I saw someone step in with courage. I have a, an acquaintance whose regular posts on social media kind of make my blood start to boil. This week there was a particularly difficult one and I read it with kind of disgust and then I ignored it. I, wasn't a, I was sort of afraid to engage and I thought it wouldn't matter anyway. In the morning, I noticed that my sister-in-law had responded. She wrote in response this really caring message. She said, and she addressed this person by name, she said, reading your posts makes me sad and confused. Do you really believe this? The choice is not between the godly and the godless. Both Republicans and Democrats, she said, are good godly people. We certainly have differences of opinion on the issues and what it means to save and respect life, but to boil all that down to the godly and the godless, it just is wrong. The current political situation is so multi-layered. And my sister-in-law, she said the bravery and the wisdom, and I really saw compassion in her response to, to name that and to engage in a meaningful way. Now, I don't know about you, but too often, when I don't know how to respond, I just don't. I don't know what good I can do sometimes, so I stay home. I don't know what fearful thing I might be met with, so I just don't engage. Theologian James Cone wrote a book called The Cross and the Lynching Tree. 
In that book, he recounts the work of Martin Luther King Jr. And he tells the story of when a reporter asked King if he was afraid. And King replies this, no, I am not. My attitude is that this is a great cause. I have always felt that ultimately, along the way of a life, an individual must stand up and be counted and be willing to face the consequences, whatever they are. If he is filled with fear, he cannot do it. And my great prayer is always that God will save me from the paralysis of crippling fear, because I think when a person lives with the fear of the consequences for his personal life, he can never do anything in terms of lifting the whole of humanity and solving many of the societal problems that we confront. Now, in this book, Cohn makes it very clear that King absolutely knew that he was going to die for this cause. But he did not even let the fear of death stop him from speaking and acting. Now, we in this faith community, Lake Nokomis Lutheran Church, we, with a new leader in your midst, with a big decision and possible partnership venture in front of you, with the world around you so desperately wanting to hear people of faith act on behalf of the vulnerable and the forgotten and the oppressed, with the gospel of Jesus compelling us to name and make right injustices in our world, we take that long pause like Jesus did and say, what will we do? Will we stay in a place where things are safe and comfortable? Or will we look fear in the face and then speak and act? Do you know what biologists call the relationship between the giraffe and the oxpecker a symbiotic relationship? Symbiotic is where both sides of the relationship benefit from the relationship. You know, a parasitic relationship is where one side benefits and the other side is hurt. But this is symbiotic. In this community of faith, might we experience such symbiosis, feeding each other with faith and courage and hope, warning each other when words or actions might be unsafe, encouraging one another when we see signs of life and hope in someone else's words or actions. This is the gift of relationship that Jesus brings when he enters into our world. Jesus will warn us. Jesus will unsettle us and even startle us into seeing power structures that benefit some and strike fear into the heart of others. But Jesus also points us to the cross. When we look at the cross, we see sacrificial love, an only son sent in, the deepest kind of compassion offered and given, the promise of resurrection that is far more powerful than fear or rejection or humiliation or even death. So we take that long pause. And in it, we breathe in faith and we breathe out fear. And then we go forward in love. And as we do so, we continue to say, 
thanks be to God. Amen.